Amakuru e bite ni meza chani chani. I thought you were Rwandans. You're not Rwandans? Okay. You guys, I, I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 10. It's a story actually found in uh, three Gospels. Uh, and, and one of the other Gospels, they call him the rich young ruler. But in this Gospel, it's the rich young man. And my prayer and my hope is that um, we will let the Scriptures engage us. I don't want to waste your time being up here just talking at you. My expectation is that as we open God's Word, that God will speak to us. Something I need, something you need. We don't want to waste time. And we believe God's Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I need that this morning. We need that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Your commands are not burdensome. They are our very life. We thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of Holy Scripture. We thank you for the gift of a time where we can gather the body of Christ and we can break bread and sing and worship and get our eyes off ourselves, confident that you will be with us and you will speak to us. And so now, Lord, take our minds and focus them on you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, how many of you guys were pre-med in college? If that's true of you, raise your hand. Wow, not too many, huh? I was pre-med for a season. I went to UVA and... Um, boo hiss. I went to UVA and I wanted to be a doctor. And I have to tell you my motivations... Do you stand behind here all the time? Oh, great, because that's not my deal. Okay, so... So my motivations for being a doctor, guess why I wanted to be a doctor? I mean, if we're just in church telling the truth, why did I want to be a doctor? Money, yeah. Doctors have nice cars. I wanted a nice car. My family had money. We lost it. And I knew, you know, I knew what it was not to have money and resources. And so a lot of my friends, their dads were doctors, and they had nice clothes, nice cars, vacations, all the things that my mom, as a single mom, couldn't provide for us. So I, I thought, well, as long as we're choosing professions, I'll just choose to be a doctor. That'd be awesome. And I kind of liked medicine, and I was an EMT and later became a paramedic. So then I go to UVA, and I run into things called, like, calculus, physics, chemistry, organic chemistry. And I really had some wake turbulence in my head, right? This thing I wanted to be a doctor, and all that comes with it. The problem was I had to run through the fire of pre-med and med school. But I was having a good time partying. I was not a Christian. I was wide open, living for myself, partying. And so it's kind of like, well, which do you want? Do you want to be wild and party and do all that? Or do you want to be a doctor? And the longer I stayed at UVA and the worse my grades got, I quickly figured out I was not willing to pay the price to, to be a doctor. I didn't want it that bad. What I wanted was to be wild and crazy and do what I wanted to do on Friday and Saturday, actually Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. <laughs> We're going to run into a man in this passage. Again, it's in, in other gospels called the rich young ruler, but in this gospel they call him the rich young man. He wanted something really bad. He wanted eternal life, and he comes up to Jesus and he basically asked, well, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do to get it? But at the end of it, you're going to see that the man walks away. He, he was not willing to do what Jesus said. 
And he walks away and it says his face fell. So let's go engage the text. And it says, and as he was setting out on his journey, uh, who are they talking about? As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Aubrey, excuse me, the thing that we do at our church that I forgot to do this morning is, what is the context of this passage? You don't want to just like dive into a a passage and not know what's in front of it and what's behind it. Otherwise, you could come away with some really weird interpretations. So I want you guys, this is your part in the sermon, to tell me what's going on in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. What's coming right before this rich young man? What's happening? Transfiguration. Keep going. Look at the, the, the titles in your Bible. They'll tell you. It's kind of like, um, what are those things we used in high school that we shouldn't have used? Cliff notes. Right. Thank you. I was so lazy. I wouldn't even read all the cliff notes. I read the conclusion of the cliff notes. That's why I'm not a doctor. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so the transfiguration of Jesus, and then they're arguing about who's the greatest, right? These men, these writers of the New Testament are, right, are arguing with each other in front of Jesus. Like, who is the greatest? And then Jesus has some hard teachings. He teaches about divorce. And uh, we find out that the, uh, the Pharisees are asking him questions. Why are they asking Jesus questions? What does it say? Doesn't it say? Oh, uh, chapter 10, verse 2. And the Pharisees came up to Jesus in order to test him, put him on trial. And they asked him questions about marriage and divorce. And so that's going on. The Pharisees are doing what they're doing. The religious men are doing what they're doing. They're trying to trick Jesus, and they're trying to expose him. And, and then, right after that, it says the little children are coming up. And Jesus says, let them come. For, for uh, as such as these belong to me. So you have this contrast between the Pharisees, actually the apostles, who are fighting over who's going to have the best seat next to Jesus. Then you've got the Pharisees, the very religious Pharisees, who are trying to trick Jesus. And then you have little children, and he says, just let them come. Just let him come. And on the backside of the rich young man, what do we see in uh, verse 35? And we'll stop there with context. The request of James and John. What did they request? Aubrey, what are they requesting? <laughs> He's taking notes. Sir? Right. And so you see all this flesh going on, right? All this positioning for the kingdom of God. You see the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus. And then you see these little children. And he says, come, come for, to, for, for as such as these belong to me. So let's go back to the rich young rule. That's the context. That's what it is. And so it says, as, as he was setting out, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The first thing you'll notice here is that Jesus was on a journey. Jesus did not sit in the church house. Most of your life as a Christian, you will not stay in this building. We tell our people we want you to serve one time or one place in the church. Find one ministry. Everybody can do a bulletin or open the door or serve coffee or do something. But most of your ministry, most of your service is not going to be in this building. Thanks be to God for that. Right? Just like Jesus sent out the the apostles and disciples. So we see that Jesus was on a journey. He was doing ministry And he was not always in the synagogue. Was he in the synagogue sometimes, as was his custom? Yes. 
But he also went out to where the people were. That's the kingdom of God, y'all. That's the kingdom of God. And, and so what happens is Jesus is on a journey. A man comes up and does some pretty radical stuff. Look in verse 17, Mark 10, 17. What does the man do? He runs up to Jesus. He kneels down. And then he calls him a lot of good names, right? Good teacher. And this young man had a, a passion, which a lot of young folks don't. Like, you guys are here. I'm so amazed. Like, young folks here, you want to know about God. You want to know about the kingdom. But can we say not too far from here are thousands that don't? And so you see this young man, and you're like, wow, this is incredible. He's running up to Jesus. He's kneeling down. He's saying, good teacher. And he has a concern about the afterlife. So wouldn't you think Jesus would go, you're awesome. You're everything I've been looking for. You ran to me with passion. You've knelt down honoring me. And you throw these like really incredible titles at me. And, and, but he asked the question. He says, good teacher to Jesus. Good rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to in, in, inherit eternal life? You know, in most, most religions, not all, but most of them, it's their religions of doing. What is it that I need to do, right? If I keep this rule or do this ritual or practice, and then God, if I do enough good things, if the good things outweigh the bad things, have more good karma than bad karma, right? God weighs it in the scale and says, yeah, I guess you can come on in. So he's, he's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, what do you think Jesus says? Let's look at verse 18. Jesus said to him, I love Jesus. He's, I mean, this is borderline sarcastic. But he's probing. He's probing because he knows something's going on with this rich, young man who really was a rich, young ruler, powerful and young. He says, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Can we take a break in theology world for a second? Do, um, can human beings do anything good? Let your minds roll for a second. How about the scripture that says all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags? Do you know that one? Jesus says no one's good but God alone. So you could quickly draw the conclusion that human beings are not good and they can't do anything good. Au contraire. Au contraire. While it's true that our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags, right? Um, we can do some good things. They just don't merit salvation, right? We can do some good things. For example, if you were to sneak over to the blood bank and not make a fanfare out of it, not tell people so you could be noticed by men, but if you gave your blood to help somebody live, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? Right. Um, what if you give your money quietly, not with fanfare, not ringing bells so people will notice, but you do it uh, even as a non-Christian. If a non-Christian were to do this, give their money to somebody that's hungry. Is that a good thing? Do you think God smiles on that? Yeah. So non-Christians uh, can do good things. But the question is, can they do things that are um, good enough to merit salvation? Can they do things that are good enough to win them favor or pardon from God? And the answer is absolutely not. That would uh, be to go over on Jesus on the cross and spit on him and go, hey, 
Thanks for all you did on the cross. Thanks for saying it is finished. It is accomplished. Thanks for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I don't need that. I'm going to add to your sacrifice. And so theologians talk about how men are totally depraved. Google that, but not right now. Totally depraved, but we're not absolutely depraved. We can do some good things. For example, small school children. Can they be ugly and hurtful to each other? Can they? Do they, um, do they hit each other? Do they do spit wads at each other? Right? Do they, are they mean to their brother and sister sometimes? Right? But, but, but they're, not, they're not absolutely depraved. A commentator said, if, they, if we were absolutely depraved, you would only do sin all the time. The worst possible things. So kids, rather than like flicking each other or hitting each other with like... Um, what do you call those things we used to shoot with the rubber bands? Uh, paper clips, yes. Or like we did in my school, we used to take the, the uh, stuff off our socks and we'd take little pins, stick them in the milk straws and go... <laughs> we do that. We were terrible little kids. But, but we were not absolutely depraved. There was sometimes we chose not to sin. Like if kids always chose to sin, they'd gouge each other's eyes out and set each other on fire. But they don't do that, do they? No, they don't do that because they're not absolutely depraved. Even sinners can do some good things. But in terms of salvation, there is none righteous. In terms of getting straight with the Father, we have all sinned. We've all gone astray. Or as the, the old prayer book said, and there's no health in us. We need a Savior. We, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so... This young man comes up and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because no one is good except God alone. Right? No one is pure. No one's holy. No one is righteous. There's none righteous. I'm not righteous. Aubrey's not righteous. Our archbishop's not righteous. Mother Teresa was not righteous. Before a holy God, there is none righteous. We may occasionally do things that are good things but not righteous things. What's the difference? The difference is that even non-Christians, when they do, when they do good things, the difference is the motive. Why are they doing them? Are they doing them for Jesus Christ and the glory of his kingdom or not? And the answer is most of the time, no, they're not behind a lot of the things we do, even quietly behind them or other motives. We're not doing it simply for Jesus Christ, his glory, and his renown. And so Jesus says, "Why? no one's good except God alone. And then Jesus throws out the commandments. I'm just curious, do you guys know the Ten Commandments? Do you know them? Can I confess to you, this is embarrassing. I think I was almost through my doctorate before I learned the Ten Commandments. I have a really bad memory. And... Um, Finally, I, I had to come up with a mnemonic device to learn the Ten Commandments. Can I just take two minutes and chase this rabbit with you? Okay? I want you to draw a picture of a little hunchback little man. Go ahead. If you have, if you have a pen, do it. His name is Nish. Okay? Nish. Just go with me. Don't check out. A little man. He's about five feet tall. He's hunched over. Nish. Nish is on a boat. That boat has a mast on it. Okay, so the mnemonic I want you to remember is Nish Mast C. Nish Mast C. You look fascinated. Okay, I want you to say it. We're going to say it like four times because I'm going to teach you the Ten Commandments so you never forget them. 
Okay, ready? Nish, mast, sea. Okay, visualize it. A little short guy is hunched over. This is the mast of a ship. So you're not going to forget this, are you? Nish climbed up the mast so he could... Okay, Nish, mast, sea. Nish, mast, sea. Okay, N-I-I-S-H, Nish. Nish, Nish, Nish. Nish did what? He climbed up the... So he could... You got it? You're never going to forget, are you? You got the picture of this guy? Nish climbed up the mast swing sea. N-I-I-S-H-M-A-S-T-C. Let's go through them. You're going to learn Ten Commandments right now. N, Nish, Nish. First, first, first letter of, of his name, of Nish, is, you shall have no other gods before me. Nish, N, shall have no other gods before me. N, you shall have no idols, no idols. N, what's the, what's the, what's the third letter? I, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And, and I-D comes before I-N. N-I-I-S-H. N-I. So, no other gods, no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. S. Is the Sabbath or steel? Sabbath or steel? Sabbath or steel? S-A comes before S-T. Okay. Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. N-I-I-S. And then last one is. Ch- children, please. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. I know it's counterintuitive because like as kids, even as adults, we want to do what we want to do. But God has promised if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you. Just try it. It's a radical idea. <laughs> try honoring your mom and dad. So Nish climbed up the mast so he could see. Let's go mast. Spell it for me. M S. Okay, M, thou shalt not commit. Thank you. Y'all are bright people. Um, A, right. And you know what? The reality is, while I haven't done it, I've done it in my mind a hundred times. I'm I'm lying a thousand times, right? Good thing we have a savior. M, A. Next one is S, steal, because we've already done Sabbath, right? Right, steal, thou shalt not steal. And then T, testimony. Testimony, don't bear false testimony. Don't lie, right? Don't lie. And then the last one, Nish climbed with the mast so he could, don't what? I like to call it Corvette. Your neighbor has like a Corvette and you see it and you want it and you want it just a little too bad. And so in your heart, you just keep thinking about this Corvette. The Bible says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his ass or his this or his that. So I've taught you the Ten Commandments. Come on. Isn't that just silly? A bishop taught me this. Nish, mass, see. Nish climbed up the mass so he can see. Let's go through it one time really quick. In, go. I. Second I. Yeah, don't take the Lord's name in vain. N-I-I-S, S. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. H. Okay, that's Nish. Now he's going to climb up the mast. M. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't commit murder. A. S. Steal, right? T. Yeah, which really means a fancy word for don't bear false testimony, don't lie. And the last one is C. Don't covet. Okay. Whoo, 
that was a rabbit to chase. I know, honey, five minutes. Okay, so um, Jesus says, you know, when he says, the young man says, um, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. And then, he, and then Jesus throws this one out. He goes, well, you know the commandments. You know the commandments, right? Every good Jew would know the commandments. Exodus 20, right? What are the commandments of God? Moses brought them down. There are two tablets. One tablet primarily has to do with how we um, rever and worship and care for God. The second tablet, for the most part, has to deal with how we uh, treat other people. Two tablets, right? And so Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he really focuses more on the second one, the second tablet, if you will, how we relate to other people. And Jesus says, you know the commandments, uh, don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And so most of these things that, uh, well, anyway, so he says that, right? He says these commandments. And one of the other gospels, they, they, they change them up just a little bit, but basically says, these are the commandments, right? You know the commandments. And the rich young ruler says what? In verse 20. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if is this boastful or is he just deceived? He says, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth, all these things. Could any kid say that? I've always honored my mother and father. I couldn't say that. One commentator says through the glasses, the loophole glasses of a Pharisee, he believed that he had kept all this. Not according to Jesus' standards, right? Are y'all hot in here? Is it me? Whatever. So... From his perspective, he had kept it. Just like when Paul said, as to the law, I'm blameless. But according to Jesus, like Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If you have anger in your heart towards someone else, you've committed murder. Have we committed murder? I have. He says, if you look on a woman or ladies, if you look on a man in a lustful way, I tell you the truth. You've committed adultery, right? And so, yes, by a Pharisee loophole glasses, he could say, I've, I've, I've kept all these from my youth. And I'm sure Jesus was saying, really? Really? So then Jesus says, oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and, and Jesus, look at verse 21. What does Jesus do? Does he say, that is ridiculous? He, did he say, are you, are you that stupid? Is that what Jesus did? What did Jesus do? Jesus, it says he looked at him and he loved him. Can't you just see that? And, and the word is from the root agape love, like unconditional, unmerited, undeserved, the kind of love that really changes lives. Jesus looked at him and he just agaped him. He loved him tenderly. And you could just tell, just like he stood outside the city of Jerusalem and he says, I long to gather them under my wings, but they would not. Jesus, like he's weeping, he's caring, but he's not going to force him at gunpoint. And Jesus loved him. He looked at him with incredible love. And then he said to this young man, he says, you lack one thing. And the guy's going, what? What is it? What is it? What is it? You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Now, first of all, let's get this. Does Jesus tell everyone to go and sell everything they have? The very fact that you all have clothes on tells me that that's not true. He doesn't tell everybody to go sell everything they have. What is Jesus doing here? He's trying to smoke out the idolatry in this man's heart, right? 
And this man's eyes, and it, he thinks that he's kept all the rules and therefore he should merit heaven, right? Based on his performance. But the, you'll notice when Jesus threw out the commandments, he didn't throw out, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't have any idols, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain or use it in a careless manner. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so Jesus knew that this young man had an idol in his hands. And he knew this young man would not be free to embrace him or to follow him until he dropped his idol, right? So he doesn't tell everybody on the planet, go sell everything that you have, right? That would be a bad interpretation. But he knew for this man to be free, he had to put to death his idol. He had to at least confess it and own it. This is an idol in my life. And so Jesus says, oh, well, Great that you've kept all these commandments, but go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Jesus wasn't trying to get him to earn his way, but he was trying to get him to acknowledge and recognize and wrestle with his idolatry. His love for money, position, power, and esteem, which was all pointed back to money and possessions. So he says, go sell everything you have. And then how did the man react? We're just about done here. Look in verse 22. It says, disheartened, <laughs> disheartened, disheartened by this saying, the, the rich young man or the rich young ruler, disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And my, my memory from Greek is that it says his face actually fell. So imagine if you're smiling. Everybody smile at me for a second, even if it's fake. Smiley face. It's all turned up, right? No, now frown. The frown is kind of like an upside down smile, right? So it's like the Greek. The face fell. It fell from a smile. He's happy. I'm liking what I'm hearing. And you're telling me to go get rid of my idol. Oh, oh. And so did the rich young ruler say, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I do have an idol. I love my things. But I'm, I want to give those up because I want to follow you. You are the most important thing in my life. Is that what happened? What does it say? It says he was disheartened and he went away sorrowful. Like he just said, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And Jesus looked around and said, disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, time out, time out. Who has wealth? Who has wealth? It's funny if I go to Rwanda and ask People in the rural areas in Rwanda who has wealth, the poorest person in this room, they think you're really wealthy. If you've eaten like more than one meal a day in the last week, they think, oh my gosh, these people are rich. If you have medicine when you get sick, they think you're incredibly rich. And so Jesus looked around and says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. What are you having a diatribe against wealthy people? No, because I'm a wealthy person, Right. I'm a wealthy person. In the history of the world, if you just want to chart it out, right? The top what? We're all probably in the top 4 or 5% of the wealthiest people that have ever lived. But I think hidden in these words, Jesus is trying to say, those of us who put our dependence on our ability, that we, we make ourselves our own provider and we trust in what we accumulate, if, if we make wealth our God and if we are our own providers, you're never going to get in the kingdom, it's not until you confess that idolatry in your life and you open your hands and you drop it. 
And so Jesus' disciples come and say, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Who can be saved? And they said, with man, it is impossible. It is impossible. If our, if our um, coming to our senses and getting in right standing with God is based on us, what does Jesus say plainly? It is impossible. But thanks be to God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so the application for me is this, that we don't beat up on the rich young man or the rich young ruler and go, isn't he a pathetic person? But maybe we bring it closer to home and say, Lord, search me and try me. What is it in my life? What is it in my life that I have my hands wrapped around and I'm like, you're not getting this one from me. Everything else I'll give to you, but I'm not giving this one to you. It's off limits, God, so back off. God is trying to show us that he is not going to accept idolatry. And you might pray like I might pray, Lord, show me in my life where I have idols. Even if it's one, search me, try me, and then lead me in your everlasting way. Because at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't need your money, but he wants you to drop your idol. So then you will be free to come and follow him. Let me pray for us.